welcome to the ALN podcast series. If you like what you're hearing, you can find this and other podcasts, videos, papers, and more at assetleadership.net. Today's episode is brought to you by the Andrew James Advisory Group. AJAG provides training in the ISO 55000 standard, and our world-class training qualifies students to take the ALN A55K certification exam, an industry recognition of an individual's knowledge of the standard. Certified individuals add value to any organization's asset management initiatives. Realizing your ISO 55000 vision need not be painful. Visit us at www.andrewjamesadvisory.com to see how we can help. Now, enjoy the podcast. I'm Mike Bordenaro, uh, Director of Communications for Asset Leadership Network, and I just want to add that Martin O'Malley is the former governor of the uh, state of Maryland, and he was a presidential candidate, so we feel quite honored that uh, he's going to spend some time with us. Thanks, Mike. And we, we thank uh, Jennifer and Tacoma Zach for spending time with us today. They uh, have uh, two companies that are uh, closely interrelated, Uberlytics and Mentor APM. Uh, they are very active ALN members. Um, Jennifer is on the ALN board of directors. Tacoma is a senior fellow, and both of them are on the recently formed Water and Wastewater Asset Leadership Board. And I've just got to say, what a pleasure it has been working with them. They are not just intelligent, they are very wise, generous, and fun people. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. And usually we start with what got you to your asset man, you know, this point in your asset management journey. Today, I'm gonna say, what made you think that working together as a married couple was gonna be successful? And it's working, so what's your secret? I do what she says. Go ahead, Jen. Tell them what our secret is. <laughs> you know, um, so we, we've been on this journey of working together since 2013 when we had the opportunity to take over analytics. <clears throat> and um, that was, you know, almost entirely in Tacoma's, well, really entirely in Tacoma's area of expertise and a, and a logical next step in his professional career. Um, but to do this, it was something we had to agree to do together. And, um, and I think our, our life together has been one of teamwork. We're both um, compulsive problem solvers. We don't always agree on what the problem is or how it should be solved. But thankfully, we're also good collaborators, I would say. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, my two cents if I'm allowed. Um, <laughs> well, the... Um, yeah, we have separate offices, which is good because things there sometimes is friction. But um, in all the years of career um, growth and uh, having worked with different organizations with different uh, structures internally and stuff that you read on business, uh, business posts and blogs and all that, a diversity of opinion is a really good thing. Um, if everybody is a yes person, you'd end up, you know, believing your own uh, spin and drinking your own Kool-Aid kind of thing. That's really, it doesn't strengthen an organization and an organization is strengthened with uh, various opinions, especially if they are a little bit apart, because at the end of the day, it ends up being better, but you need to be challenged and you need to have a counterpoints. And Jen, fortunately, is an extremely competent, strong individual that does not bow easily. <laughs> So pushes back pretty hard. <laughs> and, and very uh, uh, wise. And she's 
been extremely beneficial to our board and our membership committee. And yeah, so good job. You're definitely the better of the two of us to be there. Well, I wouldn't say that, Tacoma. Every time that uh, I hear you present, I'm just floored by the depth of knowledge, but more importantly, the uh, common sense approach and the way you present it. So enough flattery. Uh, you, say that, you say that to all the panelists, but say, thank you. Well, I do, I do think a key thing is that we have very different skill sets, but they are, they are complementary. Um, and so, you know, we, we can come to a challenge, a problem from, from different perspectives, like Kamala was saying. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so, so yeah, we, we embarked on this crazy journey of working together uh, in Uberlytics in 2013 and 2017. We said, well, let's have more fun and start another company, <laughs> um, this time with a, another business partner. And um, so Uberlytics has focused on, um, our, our tagline there is helping organizations build better asset management programs. And it is, has evolved into pretty much an exclusively services oriented um, organization. And we um, offer asset management consulting, risk and criticality consulting um, to come into the fair bit of operations um, management, utility management. Um, one of our real highlights and things that we're really proud of is, is that we coached and facilitated Raytheon getting ISO 55,000 certified in uh, nine months to come out. It was- uh, Yeah, pretty well. And, and make sure we mention who was instrumental in that. Yeah, Jim was part of our team. Jim Dieter That's was right. part of our team. That's right. Working on that to, together. Um, so, so that was great. Uh, Mentor APM, we launched as a second company to really focus on delivering technology solutions, building software that um, we felt was lacking in addressing challenges of asset management, work management, and asset performance management. With both companies, the area we focus most um, is on industries that are intensive with complex assets. What's a complex asset? <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna send that over to Tacoma. Well, <laughs> hopefully we have four hours uh, as I want to- And I'm gonna take it, it back from Tacoma. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, this is actually a bit of an eye opener to us because we honestly thought the world really was the way we had always seen it, which was lots of facilities, lots of plants, lots of rotating equipment, lots of dynamic stuff, lots of heat and the pressures and all that. And when we got into the broader aspect of asset management, you realize that there's a whole bunch of other stuff out there as well that is kind of quiet. And, uh, you know, buildings and uh, roads are relatively quiet, especially at night, you know, when there's nobody driving on them and other assets and infrastructure that doesn't get seen very often, you know, underground pipes and that sort of thing. So a complex asset, um, in short, is something that is very intricate, much more layered. Um, great example is a car. A car is an extremely complex collection of, of pieces. And if you look at a car as an asset, then you know, you've got a whole bunch of detailed things in there and they all have to work really, really well together in order to be able to, uh, to do what they're supposed to do. Well, when you throw a whole bunch of complex things together into let's say a facility, water plant, wastewater plant, oil refinery, uh, factories, then you have a very, very complex interrelated um, 
facility where something, you know, over on the left side, when it fails, can affect something on the right side and why it failed is really complex. Contrast that with something like a stop sign, you know, stop sign loses the red color and you got red and white together. You can't tell it's stop sign anymore. So you got to get rid of it. Very different, very different experience, very different levels of complexity. One of the things you have often said to Kama, which helped me understand that as I was coming up to speed is the idea that a complex assets, rotating assets, things like pumps, turbines, they can fail quickly and fail catastrophically. Yeah, um, what you said. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, do, you, do you have an example of how sure. your uh, client uh, look at their complex asset in a new way? Yeah, absolutely. So, so let me add this though, and this is a this is actually a really, I think, an actually important way of understanding um, the behavior of these things. So, if you look at, um, and I can pick from any of them, oil refinery or water plant or wastewater plant, but let's stick with water and wastewater because that's kind of the the um, the remit of of our of our team here. And uh, so, if you look at you know the big pumps that uh, deliver water through the pipes to everybody's home. Um, it isn't just that these pipes are big. They've got sometimes a lot of little doodads associated with them. You know, sometimes they have separate oiling systems for the bearings. So sometimes there's looks like an entire little extra system attached to the big you know, pump kind of stuff. So they're made up of bearings and they're made up of shafts and the bearings are complex because they're made up of ball bearings, and they're made of raceways, and they're made of grease, and they're made of an inner track and an outer track. And you got these, you got these bearings on the inside of the pump and you got them on the, on the, the drive side of the pump. Then you've got couplings, you got motors. Motors are hugely complex with circuit boards inside and diodes and a whole bunch of other kind of, you know, crazy cool stuff on, on the inside. The point is, is that these things are extremely intricate. They're extremely complex. And all those things have to run or operate well in order to be able to be useful. You know, when you look at asset management, the point of it is, is to make a coordinated uh, effort in deriving value from the assets and to be making risk-based decisions. Well, those two things, value from assets and risk-based decisions, have big implications when you talk about complex assets. Tacoma, you had uh, mentioned four years ago or, or so at... Uh an ALN uh, annual event about somebody who wanted to have a gauge replaced for $150. It was a, a water filtration plant. And because they didn't do that, something overflowed and cost millions of dollars to repair. Do you remember that one? Um, yes, I actually, I do. Um, this goes back several years and it was a, uh, a relatively inexpensive, pretty low tech level sensor. It was, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a leveling sensor that once the water level got to a particular level, an influent pump was supposed to shut off. Well, they didn't look after this piece of equipment. Um, and I realized we're talking, we're supposed to be talking about asset management, not maintaining assets. Um, but they hadn't realized how critical it was, how much risk this particular asset was posing if it didn't work right. And so what happened was, is that these big tanks with really nasty water in them uh, ended up overflowing. Now, luckily it didn't make it into the environment. It was contained within a building, et cetera, but it was um, hundreds, if not thousands of gallons of stuff that was all over the place. It went back in the sewer and the next thing you know, it kind of got caught up in all that. But the point is, is that sometimes you can have complex 
arrangements of relatively simple assets create a degree of complexity or create a degree of, of risk. And um, there's, a, there's a statement that I think is applicable here that we'll probably want to circle back to. Doesn't matter whether it's a stop sign, a road, or an extremely complex, let's say a big split case pump. Um, assets are a collection of failure modes. And if you can manage those failure modes, you manage the asset. And the reason why I say that is, is that when you look at something like a stop sign or you look at a park bench or you look at a road, there is a limited ways in which those things can be negatively impacted. If you understand that, you can manage those and you can be making risk-based decisions at a relatively um, uh, easy clip. It, the pace just picks up like crazy when you're looking at complex assets and the, and the challenge is there because when you, your road can fail over a season, maybe two seasons, stop signs can take forever to fail unless you hit it. But um, when you look at say pumps, when that starts going sideways on you, it can be out within days. And if it is the big pump that is delivering water to your you know, big neighborhoods, then you have a serious problem. So you don't have the luxury of waiting around. You must respond rationally and relatively quickly. And I don't want to go way down the road. I mean, I can, but this is going to be the form of going I, down the road. Like, what's so the difference I, and why? <laughs> no, I, I, I think this is a really good point to, to you know, address that question of maintenance versus asset management. Um, you know, one of the things, Mike, you, you and I both know, um, what the three of us know, is that people use the term asset management in many different ways, you know, using the same words to mean different things. Yeah. Um, and so some people use asset management when really what they're talking about is maintenance or what they're really talking about is condition assessment or accounting. Um, and so, you know, all those elements and disciplines are a part of it, but Takama, how do you answer someone that says, well, maintenance is, is not asset management? Well, that's kind of like saying a tire isn't a car. It's true. However, it is an extremely important element of it. And maintenance is actually one of the key tactical executions of asset management. Because without appropriate, judicious, well-thought-out, risk-based maintenance, the reason why the organization exists, let's say it's a facility, let's say it's, it's designed to you know, produce water, then eventually that's going to be um, hampered, if not completely derailed, because things are going to wear out. And so asset management being the overarching, the strategic, the um, large programmatic approach, to engaging with the facility must end up translating into very thoughtful tactical execution on the maintenance side of things. So that's how I would answer. And I think you know, it would be safe to say that um, maintenance plays a different kind of role when you're looking after complex assets like we've been talking about, like you said, versus, um, um, you know, looking after um, more, more static things that you, like you said, fail more slowly. The, the role of maintenance in the overall um, management of a more static asset is probably smaller. Whereas when you're into process industries and things like utilities, 
um, the role of maintenance is probably a, a little bit more. Right yeah, now. you know, um, you know, Mike's trying, to, Mike's trying to participate and we're not I'm, letting I'm, him. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, well, you talk. <laughs> oh. I, I think we've got a new host. Uh, Jennifer, anytime you want to, you can be one of our hosts. Uh, but what I want to say is that it uh, <clears throat> seems like you've been describing the type of things that Uberlytics, the service company, looks at. What does Mentor AMP, if I understand it right, that's the software company. What yeah. So um, they're actually interrelated. Um, and uh, whereas Uberlytics may focus on identifying critical assets and identifying the risk exposure that your business has based on this portfolio of assets. What Mentor APM does is it closes the loop and says, okay, well, how should we manage these things? Um, it is a software that is not only a CMMS, which is a computerized maintenance management software. Um, so it handles work orders and all that other kind of stuff. And it does it both for horizontal assets in GIS, as well as the vertical assets, which are the complex treatment plants and all. But it um, does it in a way that really lets you understand what the asset is going through in order to make the most informed um, decisions on how to manage that asset. And Jen, I don't know if you if we want to get into it, but there are a couple of elements that are really, really important when you're looking at complex assets. One is you have to understand, as we've said, how that asset fails. So you really have to understand that. And um, so you have to understand failure modes and you have to understand what to do about those failure modes to fix it properly. The second thing you need to understand is, is what really the, um, the impact of condition is. And people often misuse condition go like, well, if my condition goes down, therefore my risk goes up. Well, not necessarily. If my condition goes down on a coating, I still might have two years left. If my condition goes down on a bearing, I might have one week left. Very different risk profiles. So you have to understand what part is degrading and how fast it's degrading. And then the other part is you have to understand the environment that asset lives in, the context, its life, its experience. If it's a motor, as an example, lots of stop starts, it's gonna run down a whole lot faster. If you're pushing sand through a pump, or clean water, very different experience, very different set of, of, of failure profile. And in fact, what'll happen to is, is different ways that an asset can fail will distill to the top. So in one case, you've got erosion happening. Well, okay, that's how that asset's gonna fail. The bearings are fine. In another case, the bearings are going out because you didn't grease it right. Well, that's a different failure. They have different time horizons. So you act differently, you must respond differently. And if you're going to make appropriate decisions. You've got, to, and everything that we just talked about feeds into the risk profile. If, if asset management, and I love this about the standard, I love this about ISO 55000, I love this about asset management, make risk-based decisions. That sharpens the focus of where to apply the effort and the, and the resources. That's Uberlytics, that's criticality analysis, that's risk analysis. And then what do you do with them and how do I an accurate read of what's happening with my assets. That's what Mentor APM does. APM stands for Asset Performance Management. And unlike, uh, we pretty well built it because there wasn't any large scale commercial off the shelf software that did what we as asset owners always wanted. And so we always had to sort of clue stuff together. So in this case, what we did is we said, well, let's build what we've always wanted and let's take some of the pain points out and deliver what you actually have to have in order to do asset management 
through your maintenance management program? So yeah, just, just to, to wrap it up, it is um, what people call a CMMS or a computerized maintenance management system, which typically manages work, but brings in the asset performance management with all of that kind of asset condition, um, asset failure information that, that Tacoma was describing. And so we like to describe it as APM plus work. Um, so it's a CMMS plus an asset performance management system. I can see, Mike, that we're getting some good questions on asset management. Yes, we I, make I time see, for that. <laughs> I see that also, and I'll I'll make sure we get to it. And I think we're going to be going into overtime. But uh, I want to ask if you've got a uh, mentor APM case study or example that you can share. Example of well, I'll just give you I'll I'll give you a top line. Um, um, case study for sure for, for uh, a large regional utility in the, in the Midwest um, using our criticality analyzer software, which is a part of the whole mentor APM suite, um, going through a, a risk and criticality assessment and, and using the software to do that. We identified with them a potential 5 million in savings out of their maintenance budget and a further 5 million in a real reallocation of resources. What that means is they were doing things, spending money on assets that weren't important, that wasn't delivering a return. And so identifying where their risk and criticality was mean, <clears throat> meant that they could target their limited resources and save. So, yeah. so um, this ties into one of the questions from uh, Susan Ayat uh, from the uh, GAO. Could this approach have helped in Jackson, Mississippi? And the specific case in Jackson, Mississippi being which, which part? Um, they were all, when everyone was talking about uh, New Orleans uh, being hit by the most recent uh, flooding, they were also flooded and wiped out just as long as New Orleans was, but they didn't get the press because they're not New Orleans. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I, I see Susan's question. It said problems ex it experienced during the freeze in February leading to the weeks long boil order. Um, you know, not being familiar with the exact details of that, I'm sure Tacoma can comment on how a freeze would end up impacting a, sure. uh, a plant. In, in, fa in fact, uh, it's a typical example that um, you see both in industry and municipal operations over and over and over again. When you don't understand um, the risk that some of your assets are under, in other words, environmental considerations, um, you also might end up missing how critical they are. And sometimes they're called single points of failure and that kind of stuff where you've only got one particular asset to do something that you need to have done. So if you don't, and this actually happened to a power company out here as well. If you don't do a criticality review and understand where the risk is, you'll miss something like, hey, what happens when this line freezes and bursts? Um, if, it's a, if it's a small distribution line someplace else, well, the impact is relatively manageable. But if it is either a source line or if it is the main line leaving the plant, or if it's, a, if it's a key line for disinfection, in other words, a critically related process within the, a larger context, then when that goes out, you need to have an, a, a backup plan. And if you haven't done a criticality review, you don't understand, at least you haven't got a plan in place for how you can mitigate that risk 
And if you need to do something ahead of time for it, or if you need to change the design element for it, it happens at automotive plants. It happened at the power plant out here. Um, we didn't think we would have four nights below zero, or I should say four nights below 32 degrees. For our Canadian and international friends, I use below zero on the Celsius scale. So the, um, the idea was though, is that a particular line froze, which took out an ammonia uh, system, which was a scrubbing system, which meant the power generation facility had to shut down for legal reasons because they couldn't scrub the off gases coming out of the turbines. So yes, a criticality review and understanding the context of your assets, something like Mentor APM, yes, it could have helped. Kings County up in Oregon, I mean, up in uh, Washington, classic example last year, the year before, of not understanding when similarly so a level sensor goes out or a piece of equipment goes out and an entire um, well overfills and blows all the equipment out and takes an entire treatment plant out. So Tacoma, you had mentioned uh, ISO 55,000 uh, yeah. uh, series of uh, standards and how much you like them. Can you quickly uh, uh, provide some further insight on that? We're gonna be going into overtime for sure, but- uh, Oh, sure, uh, yeah. You know, the, the, no, the parts that you want me to talk about, the parts that I particularly uh, have affection towards or I think are just particularly- Maybe, I'll set, up, maybe I'll set you up, <laughs> maybe I'll set you up. You know, when, when I mean, there's the four key pillars. Ooh, look at that. Um, the, the idea of value, alignment, risk-based decisions, and leadership. And I know Takama loves to talk about all of those. Okay, zoom in on me. <laughs> <laughs> For anybody who's an SCTV fan. So um, the, uh, yeah, so first off, making risk-based decisions is I think one of the most fundamental uh, aspects of an asset management program because it means you're using your resources more wisely and you are securing, or at least attempting to secure level of service, which is paramount. The second part, and so we absolutely love that part. The other part where you're looking at alignment. Alignment is often described as a horizontal alignment between the purchasing department and the engineering department and the operations and maintenance and finance and accounting and all that other kind of stuff. And it's all absolutely necessary because they, they have to be in lock and step. And a classic example is, is that purchasing goes on low bid, doesn't talk to engineering, doesn't think about cost of ownership, doesn't think about the long-term asset management implications. And you end up having a completely disparate set of pieces of equipment out in the field that there's no common uh, parts for, there's different maintenance activities. It's a massive cost impact and operational efficiency impact because of that. And so, you know, they should- How does ISO 55001 help that? Well, because you're supposed to be, have a coordinated, uh, a coordinated approach to managing assets and derive value from the assets. But this alignment part, where you're supposed to drive alignment, that means uh, purchasing now takes engineering into account, takes operations into account going, okay, that may be low bid, but that asset over there, it's a little more expensive, but overall we're going to have a smoother operation. We're going to have less consequential damages. We're going to have a, a, a more uptime and, and we're going to be able to deliver on a level of service much better. We're going to have reduced risk in other words as well. And we're going to save boatloads of money because we're going to be able to rationalize our storeroom, which can be a huge cost center and cost impact. So weeding down into the, you know, getting down to the weeds ends up showing why alignment across the horizontal is important. But equally important 
is the vertical alignment. And that means when the field staff are engaged in tactical executions on a day-to-day -day basis, they must be first and foremost, be engaging in stuff that delivers on what the corporate objectives and values and stakeholder interests are. And if they are not working on what the, the call it the strategic objectives are, then they may still be doing a fine job within their microcosm, but they're not, their efforts aren't delivering the value from the assets that they could be. And so there Excellent. must be this Excellent. Alignment. That's a great place to let uh, Nick uh, uh, step in. <laughs> Everybody, uh, please stick around. Uh, Jim, Cecilia, Chris, you have questions, we'll get to them. And I've got some other questions too. Great. Yep, I'm not here to end this great discussion. I just want to briefly thank everyone for attending and participating in the discussions. It really makes for a more lively talk and presentation. Uh, and so I just want to quick thank our patron sponsors again, ABS Quality Evaluations and Onuma System, as well as especially Uberlytics and Mentor APM for sponsoring this month of this ALN Thursday at four program. Uh, and then a quick plug for next Tuesday with Martin O'Malley, former governor of Maryland, and his, uh, this presentation on equity through innovative asset management. And I believe it is now back to you all. And uh, I also want to say, please join us again next week. Uh, Malik Barami will be talking with Jim Dieter. Malik is the asset manager for the park districts for a county in Maryland, Fairfield County, I believe. Um, and that's going to be a, another good one too. Um, so, um, uh, can I switch over to, uh, Jenny and ask you what you think, uh, the value of ISO 55,000. Oh, and I've got to say also, Chris Golly has invited both of you to join the U S tag because you have impressed him so much with your approach to, uh, <laughs> ISO 55,000 and, uh, um, Oh, Zoltan uh, uh, chimed in. He said it's Fairfax County, not Fairfield. I was halfway right. Thank you. Oh, Zoltan. Zoltan is Jim Dieter. He signs in uh, that way so that he doesn't get me. Anyway. <laughs> Zoltan sounds sounds like an invader from another planet. I should have remembered that. I just answered one of Zoltan's questions via text. So. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, that, uh, what Tacoma talked about value, risk-based decisions and alignment. Well, I didn't mention much about value yet. You can go on to that one. So, well, no, and I don't want to go on, but, um, and Chris, thank you for that invitation. That's something we'd love to talk to you about. Um, mm -hmm. Leadership. Um, and, you know, really that, that is the focus of the Asset Leadership Network as well. None of these things happen effectively without leadership. Um, and um, that question I was answering was at, at what level in an organization do we typically interface to, to start an asset management program? And the, um, the answer is, you know, at first, whatever level is actually taking the initiative. And that, that could be the maintenance organization in a utility, that could be a plant director. Typically and most effectively is when it comes from the executive leadership. Um, and if we haven't started with the leadership at some point um, very quickly, we need to get the leadership involved. Um, because if there isn't leadership and an executive sponsorship, it's not gonna be successful. 
Um, so I think the, the emphasis on, on leadership as, um, and ISO 55K is absolutely essential um, for setting the tone, for setting the stage for successful asset management. Mm -hmm. And um, I would suspect you jump in at almost any point, uh, people with emergencies or people who are you know, being reflective and say, we want to spend time to get this right. Is there any typical way you jump in with people or uh, clients? Well, you know, to be honest, most of it is through um, a risk and criticality review. Uh, and the reason is, is that uh, they tend to recognize that if they're going to do asset management, their business is at risk in a couple of ways, and they need to really understand what's going on. So that, that has been the predominant uh, route to engagement. Um, but I would say that, uh, you know, heck, there was, there was one uh, year and a half ago, a year ago or so with Jim, where a customer basically said, hey, we want to get ISO 55,000 certified. They had a business driver related to with the federal government. And it was like, okay, it made a lot of sense to these guys. So that was a direct request from senior management. They had made a strategic decision from a business development and a competency perspective. This is what we want. And Cecilia Mowat, who will also be in the... Uh... Um, web program next Tuesday with uh, Governor O'Malley asks, mm. have you ever done stakeholder engagement or involvement? Um, uh, how, or how broad is that? Uh, is it uh, restricted to just uh, the engineers or managers involved in the project? Or have you had the ability to you know, reach out to community and engage other people? Um, the answer to the question is, is as broad as you can make it. Um, the value of a criticality assessment um, is enhanced when you have a comprehensive, complete list of, of stakeholder engagement. Sometimes they are represented by board members. Uh, other times they are represented by documents. But uh, the broader and the more comprehensive it is, the better it is. Because if you leave something out, then you're going to have a lopsided uh, set of results that will not accurately reflect what the recipients and the folks that are affected by the stakeholders are expecting. And th th that brings up <clears throat> one of the, the key things of, about an effective criticality and risk analysis is that you have to consider multiple variables. Mm. Um, it's not just performance or production. Um, if this pump fails, and we fail to meet our mission, that has impacts on safety, that has impacts on the environment, has impacts on regulatory obligations for a utility. And so it is not just about, is this pump working or not? And so um, what happens when, when we do these analyses is we bring in as many stakeholders, like Tacoma said, um, as, as possible and relevant, and then the outcome of that is usually organizational consensus. That's the aim on priorities um, and an understanding and a, and a new level of collaboration is very effective for breaking down those organizational silos or some people call them stovepipes where everything, everybody's doing their own thing with their heads down and not really paying attention to how what they do impacts somebody else's mandate. Yeah, in fact, let me, let me jump on that because this is actually an extremely important point. 
this isn't a case of me or some other engineer or some other you know, people sitting in a room running through some calculations telling people this is how important something is. This is a collaborative approach with representative groups within a, a facility organization that usually are represented by silos. They usually don't talk to each other and operations has their objectives and, ma and maintenance has theirs and they don't often meet. Same thing with engineering. When these guys are all in the same room and, and, and as appropriate purchasing and as appropriate some other uh, representatives within the group, then all of a sudden they begin to see from the other side what's going on and they begin to realize, oh, now I understand why maintenance, you need this piece of equipment out so you can maintain it so that operations can do what they're supposed to so that finance doesn't have to borrow more money and that purchasing understands why they bought the wrong piece of equipment in the first place. So it ends up bringing everybody together. And it's, so it's a, it is a facilitated approach with subject matter experts from within an organization. It's absolutely essential that it is not just, you know, somebody writing numbers down. So it's engineering, but it's human behavior engineering. Uh, well, as you're, I'm assuming you're saying it's not just the engineering group because it's, it's representatives from the safety department and all sorts of other places. Right. But there is a, a strong psychological human dynamic. Fascinating work done actually in the mid 90s about the psychology of being able to understand risk. And the whole approach is premised on the notion that people who are somewhat subject matter experts who are familiar with the organization and what, what they're doing on a day to day basis, they have as valid an ability to assess risk as some, some you know, uh, sharpened pencil engineer, whatever. The, the idea though is that when you bring this group of people together, whereas the final results, actual numbers may be different, the ranked order of where things fall in terms of risk is statistically insignificantly different. In other words, they're virtually identical which is really important. And a question we were asked the other day about notion of risk, risk is actually really a personal, when I say personal, it is something that changes. It's a personal evaluation. If I don't like to spend more than 10 bucks, then I have a high degree of, of, uh, of sensitivity to risk for anything that costs more than 10 bucks. But if I have a, you know, a big cash cow sitting in my, in my bank account or whatever, and I can go ahead and tolerate, or I, I don't care about the environment, or I don't care about this, or I have a lot of mitigating uh, abilities in certain areas, well, then my risk profile changes. I'm, I, without question, anybody in the, in the um, Washington state area now is gonna be very sensitized to sewer overflows, facility overflows from a wastewater perspective because of what happened to King County. So the risk sensitivity changes, which means that all of a sudden certain pieces of equipment are gonna become much more important to them and they're gonna keep a watchful eye on those things this year and last year versus before because of what changes. And that's what I mean by risk is a personal thing. It changes. Tacoma, you can't ask yourself your own questions. Why not? What, what, what do you mean? What did I just do? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, I, that's why I like working with you. I can, you know, cut in like that. Oh, of course you can. You know what? And I do talk a lot. And when, uh, when you were describing that everyone's involved in risk management, you know, can do risk management, boom, I went to the Dutch boy putting his finger in the hole in the dice. Yes, exactly. That, yeah, right. So, exactly. uh, so how can the water and wastewater asset leadership board be the little boy who's putting the finger in the hole of that, how can we help the country understand what's important and move 
the country towards, you know, things like requiring ISO 55,000 strategic asset management plans if you receive funding for your, you know, water and wastewater. So, you, you know, Mike, you just launched another episode. <laughs> Not a concluding question. <laughs> My brain's short-circuiting. I don't even know how to answer that in one or two sentences. So, so, so the, the, here, here's what I would, you know, very um, briefly <clears throat> say to that. And there, there's so much to be discussed. What we would advocate for with, with the Water and Wastewater Industry um, Board is, um, is acknowledgement and inclusion of asset management best practices and legislation um, for, for, um, as a requirement for receiving funding, similar to, to the, um, the transit rule. Um, that uh, you're gonna fill in the blanks on what that's called, because I can't think of that right now. But um, so the idea of tying funding to evidence of asset management best practices being actually implemented, not just having, but evidence that, that they're being followed. And then, you know, just thoughtful, um, we, we wanna see thoughtful regulation um, under, you know, an understanding of asset management informing regulation. Um, there are a lot of well-intentioned policies and regulations that, that people put in place um, with the intent of, of Im improving service or improving safety that have unintended consequences. And one of those is a mandated technology. And Tacoma, you could speak to, you know, how that you know, great idea didn't really work out without naming anything specifically. <laughs> well, I just don't know how much time, and, how much and time briefly. we have. Super and briefly. Brief. So um, there's something called a NIPTES permit, which is a, a, a permit that every facility has to have if they're going to treat water or wastewater, that kind of stuff. It's a national pollution abatement uh, kind of thing, which means you can only push so much stuff out in the environment or you have a permit to operate like a water plant, that sort of stuff. Well, certain technology is absolutely required in order to keep drinking water safe. Once something is in a permit though, once it's in a regulation, um, it's like taxes, you're never gonna get rid of it. So there's a lot of technology that sits in some water plants that deliberately isn't turned on. And the reason is it doesn't really provide the long-term efficacy that someone is looking for, the well-intentioned stuff, because somebody on a board said, hey, we should put this in without thinking about now it's gonna cost me money and it's gonna get in the way. If I turn it on and um, uh, things go wrong with it, then I end up having to actually shut a system down and it, and it starts impacting my level of service. So there's been a creative approach to some of these utilities where they've gone ahead, okay, we'll buy it, we'll put it in, but we ain't turning it on. And so they bypass it. To no yeah. deleterious effect to the level of service and the quality of water being uh, delivered. But a heavy burden uh, financially. But a big burden, yeah, a burden financially, Regulatory. a burden tactically, uh, you know, and and going after like, checking it the gets, box regulatorily. That, that gets passed off on to taxpayers then. So exactly. it can, it can. Or rate, we'll say rate payers. But rate, rate payers don't like to spend more. So and if they don't have more to spend, if the utility doesn't, then they're going to not. So an asset management view to understanding the the actual value of a technology before installing those assets 
would help to have some practical evaluation of the, of the actual impact and value of something um, before embodying that in legislation, which ends up you know, forcing and, and resulting in, in a lot of waste. And right. so that's the kind of thoughtful application of asset management that, that we would love to see. You know, there, there's a, a ton of, of activity happening in the infrastructure space, which is exciting. Um, you know, we're seeing funding being talked about if the legislation is passed or not, we'll see, but funding being talked about, a recognition of the challenges our nation's infrastructure is, is facing. But we wanna see, you know, the, the practical application of, of wisdom, if you will, that comes from yeah. asset management being applied to these things so that we're not just wasting money. Thank you, that's good. So now let's get to a concluding question. So you have been such uh, active and uh, enthusiastic members of the ALN for I think six years, maybe, you know, members for six, you know, Involved yeah, in six, yeah, about that. Yeah. So, um, what do you see? Uh, why are you so engaged in the asset leadership? Jenna, I'll let you go first. <laughs> we see a tremendous value in in the asset leadership network, and it's been a privilege to be involved on, on sort of both sides. I, one of the things I often say is I'm I'm switching hats all the time. Um, as a member, um, like a, a company member, an organizational member, um, as a member and volunteer on the board of directors, um, the, the goals of the ALN very much align with our goals, um, with our, our companies. Um, and then the opportunity personally to participate in something that we really believe in. Um, asset management is, is something that we believe in. It is our, our mission professionally um, we, our uh, particular focus is uh, a narrower one than the bigger picture of asset management. But that's another thing that we just appreciate about the ALN is the diversity of disciplines that's represented here. Um, it's not just property managers. It's not just maintenance and, and reliability. Um, it is a very broad and diverse group of practitioners and we're learning um, from each other all the time. If, if I could add just one, one basic you know, point to that, it's an opportunity to do the right thing. And you know, what we do as a company is try to get municipalities, uh, water authorities, wastewater authorities, that kind of stuff, to manage the funds and their tactical execution in the best way, the most efficient way possible. I mean, we're the ones who are contributing to the, to, to the infrastructure in terms of some funding, et cetera. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the taxpayers, whether it's corporate or private, that they're better is funding it. So do it in a way that is an extremely efficient way of doing it, to be able to do the right thing. And so the, the cool part is, is those two missions, our corporate missions and the mission of the, of the ALN are very much aligned. And, and, it, and that's, that's uh, rewarding. And the ALN. people are equal. ALN, do the right thing. <laughs> well, when you think about it, advocating for the federal government to say, hey, listen, if you're going to give you guys money, you need to have a plan and a program. You can't just willy-nilly go and spend money and put concrete in wherever you want. There's well, got to be a well, reason. Thank you for uh, your time over the years, and thank you for your time today. Thank you for this opportunity. This was great. We love doing this. We're happy to do it again. And we can pick 
all sorts of other things to talk about. Excellent. And if we missed anyone's question, I'm sorry. And we'd love to chat. Yeah. Well, uh, there's one from Chris that's kind of hanging there. How do you say the difference between asset management and ma you can talk to him about that in person when you talk about uh, joint. I, I send everybody to Jack Dempsey's paper. Oh, excellent. Well, thanks again. And uh, uh, to the audience members, so many, almost all of you stuck around. Thank you for your time. And uh, please sign up for uh, next Tuesday. Uh, especially uh, Governor O'Malley uh, is honoring us. We want to make sure everybody uh, hears what he has to say. And uh, that I personally think uh, the talk with Jim and uh, um, next week on Thursday, eh, I forgot for hands, uh, first name. But anyway, see you next Thursday also. Bye. Thanks, also. Mike. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. We'll see you. We hope you enjoyed our podcast, and we would like to thank the Andrew James Advisory Group for their sponsorship. For more information about AJAG and their services, please visit www.andrewjamesadvisory.com or email info at andrewjamesadvisory.com. You can find this and other podcasts, videos, papers, and more at assetleadership.net.